0: Back to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites weekly podcast where we talk about our favorite genre of video games. I'm your host. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, I have Adam Vitali. Hello. And James Galizio. Hey folks. Yeah, it's just gonna be the three of us today. Um Chow has some sort of work meeting, some sort of uh, other obligation, and Josh has a, a Mother's Day weekend obligation. It is we're recording this a day before Mother's Day. Uh so some of us uh, due to his work schedule, is celebrating that today with his mom. So it'll just be the three of us today. And looking at the podcast document, this is kind of expected, but even more so now that we're here actually recording. Uh, this episode is going to be very focused, very specifically targeted on, of course... Few Good Melodies of Steel 2. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Legend of Zelda, <laughs> Tears of the Kingdom. Few Good Melodies of Steel 2 did come out this week, but um, looking at the May release calendar, we kind of have this week and next week to talk about both these games before we get some more releases coming out in late May, uh, like the System Shock remake, uh, the... For Spoken DLC, we have some early June releases like the Etrian Odyssey uh, collection, um, of course, Diablo 4. So for this podcast, it's pretty much going to be hyper-focused on, of course, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Now, to, to tee this up a little bit, um, Adam, has not start th- yeah, Adam has not started this game yet, but he's watched me play a little bit. Uh, our review was actually written by Alex Donaldson, who put it up on the site. I've played about eight to 10 hours. I got the game digitally just and I've played it since it's uh, unlocked, you know, at midnight on Friday. And James, I got, believe, got a slightly early copy and is about 15 to 20 hours in. Uh, yeah, so just we'll to co-
1: be clear. It's an actually early copy, not not. Like your I mean, secret on Twitter, I, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, your yeah your secret score. <laughs> like I understand, like with with uh, with this game in particular, it might be confusing. So yeah, mm-hmm.
0: just... yeah. And so so James and I will kind of just talk about uh, you know our experience of the game so far, whether we agree with the the high Metacritic score or not. Um, Adam, will obviously, will talk about his impressions from watching, and of course, uh, with his, with his time with Breath of the Wild, and we'll just kind of go from there and kind of see uh where the discussion leads us. And of course, we know that anyone listening who is also playing this game is likely. Also, around the same boat we are, we've played between 5 to 20 hours, we'll assume, uh, assuming you're playing the official release. So, its I don't think it's really possible for us to really spoil much. I've only seen some very um, slight bits of story in the Rito area. Uh, James might be a little bit farther. So... I'll go ahead and state like a general spoiler warning, but I don't think either of us are uh, as far enough to really tell you like what where this game is going past kind of the introductory stuff. Um, So I'll just kind of tee this up uh, kind of with this question. Obviously, this game has critically scored very, very well in your early impressions with the game. James, how are like, do you think it's justified or like, are you enjoying this just as much? What are your thoughts?
1: So I enjoyed Breath of the Wild, but I felt like it was lacking some of the uh, elements of the older 3D Zelda games I came to enjoy. Like having some sort of progression in the abilities you get. Like, yes, you get stuff from completing the Divine Beasts, but they're mostly combat focused for, again, the most part. And pretty much every ability that you had at the start of the game, the game was designed where it's like, okay, if you have... Like, you can solve pretty much anything with the abilities you get within the first, like, two to three hours. And while Tears of the Kingdom is sort of the same thing, there is a bit of progression where it's like, oh, you've done one thing, you need to come back later. And it's still, like, open end, like, open-ended. You can do almost anything at the beginning, but there's just a little bit of, okay, you need to do this first. Or it's like, okay, maybe you want to come back later. And personally, like, I think the other thing that stands out to me is how different the abilities you get in this game are compared to Breath of the Wild. Like Breath of the Wild, you had, like, bombs, you had the magnetism so you can move stuff around that was metal, and you had the ability to freeze objects in time. This one, you have Ultra Hand, which is basically like the magnetism power from the first game, except you can move any pretty much anything, and you can glue bits and bobs together to basically make uh, vehicles Uh, one thing that i keep thinking when playing this game is i wonder how many people that worked on banjo kazooie nuts and bolts are looking at the universal acclaim of this game and being a little bit upset (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, I, I'm like i sitting here playing this thinking like, man, I wonder if I'd really enjoy that game. I have no affinity to Banzo. It is good. I never, it is I've, good. N- I've is never good. played the original platformers. I've never played Nuts and Bolts, but I'm really enjoying both the um Ultra. I didn't quite get how there are different abilities uh, in all the trailers, Ultra Hand and Fuse. So Ultra Hand allows you to like glue bits and bobs together to so make the vehicles or to like attach rockets to things. And then Fuse is where you do it to your weapons and shields. And both arrows. of these, uh, yeah, and arrows and both of these are just, they're really fun to play with. We talked about during the marketing, how it was like adding verbs to the game and it was hard to like see in the marketing how to like, people saw that 10 hour, not 10 hour, 10 minute gameplay demo and some people were like, wow, this looks really neat. Or some people were like, oh, this just looks like we waited six years for this expansion to Breath of the Wild, but it is, it is such a, I hate to use this word game changer, but it's, it, it's intuitive. It clicks. And in general, I'll, I'll start at a high level and then we'll go into different specific details about some of the specifics. But this is a sort of game where I'm like, all right, time to boot this up. I'm just going to play a couple hours. I'll play the tutorial area and see how I feel. And then immediately like six, seven, eight hours pass. It's just engrossing. Um, everything kind of takes a while to do, but it doesn't feel like it, which is like the perfect mix. In terms of gathering resources, in terms of just exploration, in terms of kind of just getting your bearings, obviously, like the premise, it starts out in a little bit of a story heavy um, area with all the stuff we saw from the initial trailer way back in what 2019 with Link and Zelda going into the depths and finding uh, a very cursed, very familiar looking mummy down there. And then uh, kicking off the events of what in game is known as the upheaval, which basically creates a bunch of these sky islands, creates a bunch of these chasms, creates a bunch of these shrines, and kind of re-there's always there's always talk about, oh, they're just using the same map. And it's like, well, technically, I guess, but I'm I'm not spending any time going like, oh, this map is too familiar. Like not at all. Uh I I feel like a kid playing this game again in terms of just how much I am enjoying it. So in my perspective, I'm looking at the high scores and I'm like, yeah, I feel this. It's this is definitely my jam.
1: Also, I mean like obviously like the sky islands were a big part of the marketing and it is a massive part of the game, but it's interesting how like it feels like Nintendo kind of undersold the aspects of the game that feel like they're more integral to how different the game feels like the sky islands are important and the game wouldn't be as good without them because they play a very important purpose in like making it so that you can traverse across the, uh, map and at a much quicker pace and also gets you into um can we just talk about how much of a technical like marvel this game is like the fact that you can jump from a sky island down into a pit into the part of the game that they didn't really advertise the all seamlessly yes yeah, the depths without any like loading screens it's like i was joking before we started the podcast where it's like this feels like it feels appropriate. This is a seventy dollars game because it feels like an next gen experience.
0: And the the draw distance is uh, so there there are there are minor performance issues, but in general they kind of feel like they don't compromise the game really. They're like sometimes when you're when you're doing like the, the, when you have all the graphics up and you're like doing the the effects when you're doing the ultra hand, like sometimes the game slows down a bit. But the fact that I can rock it up into the sky island, see a a shrine because they have like this blue green glow in the corner of my eye, like half the map away, maybe not half the map, a third of the map away and I can just kind of glide towards it or lean direct towards there and can can actually make that observation from so far away and seamlessly just make my way there. And I don't even have to think about it. No loading screens, no no zones, no boundaries, no no fog of war in the distance. It is really impressive. And yeah. It- I wish I had Rivali's Gale, I guess. I'm not far enough in the game that I don't have any, like... I don't know if... When you talk about abilities that you unlock, the only ability that I've unlocked so far is... I. The game makes a suggestion of going to the four areas. These are the same four as the original game. Grudu, Frito, um, Goron, and the... um, uh, What's the last Goran. one? Zora, yeah. And I went to the Rito place first. And the, the general premise there is that the area is under a blizzard and you have to understand like why that is the Rito are scrounging for food um they can't you know do anything about the, the the main premise of the story the main premise of the game is that zelda is missing and we're trying to track her down um people have spotted her in different areas doing different things but her motive what she what she learned after the events of the opening isn't quite clear so like you go to the, you go to the Rito place and tulen who was a very minor character in the first game uh it becomes like a an area specific partner character and has this ability where he gives you a gust of wind, but it's not vertically like Rivali's; it's horizontal, which is still useful, but I'm like, man, I wish I could just, I just, I, Rivali's Gale, kind of breaks a lot of the platforming in this, in the first game. So yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if there's an analog to that in this game, except the, uh, the pine cone campfire mix yeah, <laughs> where you yeah. drop, you, you drop the pine cone, the campfire and the Flint all at once spark it to ignite it and you create an updraft. So it's always kind of fun to to do that um to kind of skip like this game in terms of in the shrines in terms of its overworld puzzles there there are I can already see ways to break the intended uh sequence or ways to like there there's an intended way to solve the puzzle and then there's there's the brute force way or the dumb way. Like I was doing this shrine puzzle where the the game clearly wanted you to use your ultra hand ability to attach some like platforms to these like guide rails but instead i just like glue all the platforms together to make a very very long ramp and i just make the ramp to where i need to go and i'm like aha this is the the, the 20 iq manner of solving this puzzle and yeah. the, the fact that it has like all the same physics-based uh heat and wind and electrocution. Uh, energy that the first game has, only it's added more of the Zonai charge and all that stuff on top of it. It's just really impressive the, the way that it's uh, all the systems all work together to create all these puzzles, both in and outside of the shrines and the explicit puzzle areas.
1: Yeah, like talking about the absence of Revolve's Gale, I feel like it makes sense that the uh, Rito ability this time would be a horizontal gust of wind because there's so many abilities you have that its whole purpose is to kind well, its main purpose is to get you vertical. Mm-hmm. Like you can ascend through like a uh a ceiling to get to the very top of whatever weight like awaits you at the other end. And it's funny, it's like like obviously like ultra hand is very clear what you use it for. Infuse, it's very clear what you use it for. Ascend feels like much more situational, but I think it might be the most important ability for how different the game and world design feels in this game
0: sometimes because i forget i have a send i'm like how do i get up there and it's like a really dumb puzzle like oh just stand under it and use a send there you go like yeah, my, my, it, I, I still haven't gotten used to that being in my kit i guess i'll put it that way
1: yeah there is so much like th- to be clear like i think the reason why tears of the kingdom feels so revolutionary to me and i'm sure a lot of other people is the fact that how many other games you play simply talk about verticality and how many do you play that actually you can point to and be like, this game was completely designed. It's not just the X axis in mind, but also like having to consider what's above and below you because of the kingdom. There are so many puzzles where the, where one of the solutions is okay. For example, just did a guide for a shrine where you get to it and the entrance to it is snowed in so context clues you read this like journal entry from the construction guys that's right off to the side and they say oh we put our materials in this nearby cave you go into the cave you build a raft with a plank of wood you ride it down and there's this like river in the cave you and down river you find oh this looks like the structure for the shrine so the puzzle is you need to get like a foothold underneath the shrine itself and then ascend because it's snowed in, but the inner chambers are fine, so that's how you get in, and that's how you activate it and you can shoot out and like uh survey the surrounding like area and there's like puzzles like that it's not always exactly the same thing, but the idea of you always have to consider okay, what could be above or below you and in some cases, it's not as simple as oh, there's the obvious context clues in the environment that this is where you're going to want to ascend sometimes it's like okay put a pin in your map where you know you want to ascend to and then like cross-reference before you ascend to know that you're in the right spot for you to get to where you want to be and there's just so much of that
0: i like how in a lot of other games that have verticality they kind of solve the puzzles for you in terms of like the chalk lines or the yellow paint or whatever. And I know, I know games recently have been better about giving you an option to turn that off. But Zelda, it's not an option. It's just all baked in. It's just you can ascend whenever there is a platform above you. It's it's not clear points like, aha, stand on the mark and do it here. You just well, need to there is some of that. Okay. But it's
1: not as obvious, because like, sometimes you'll see like a specific part of the wall where it's like, oh, this stands out, so that means it'll probably uh, work for uh, ascending into uh, whatever you want above it. And like I just said with the shrine, you can see the base of the shrine, you can kind of see the floor, so it's like, ah, this is uh-huh. where I ascend.
0: So it gives you enough visual clues to kind of hint you without being too yes, obscure. Yeah. And, and there, yeah, are there, natural, there are some areas where... It feels natural, though. There are some areas where I don't know if the intent was to use Ascend, but I used it anyway, because I would have like three blocks. And what I would do is I would like make the blocks like a staircase, but they're they're not blocks you can climb on because they don't have grippy surfaces. Um, but I would just make it like a staircase and like wedge it up against the wall and go underneath it and then ascend to the top block. It's hard to paint a picture with words only, but basically, you know, when you're using the ultra hand ability, the platforms that you move and stick around if you can figure out how to elevate them you then you can ascend under them like you you can just do that and this is the sort of game where i feel like People, as they share clips or videos, uh, like a lot of people say you can do that because that's just it's just a rules based system. It's not bespoke. You have to turn the key in this order, in this lock. And then you talked about the journal of the construction company. I really enjoy. And I think Breath of the Wild might have had this, too. But either either Tears of the Kingdom is more explicit about it or I am just being more deliberate about reading journals. You start out in the, the central city right outside of Hyrule Town Uh, Or the ruins of Hyrule Town is this little like encampment that was built up our last couple of years called Lookout Landing. And that's where you meet Pura and Robbie and they kind of set you on your quest. It's kind of like your home base. Uh, And inside there, like talking to NPCs, reading a bunch of journal notebooks, there's things that the game like is clearly a part of the story, but it's not just going to monologue it to you. Like, for instance, I haven't been there yet. But I talked to a few people who are from Luralin, which is that little coastal town in the southeast part of the map. And they said, like, yeah, but the city's been abandoned because it's been attacked by pirates. And, like, that's not part of the story yet. I've never been there. But you talk to people, you read the notebook, and you learn that. And then before I even went to the Rito area, you learn about how, oh, the the yeah. Hebrew Mountain snowed over. You better bring some warm gear or you better bring some fire-resistant potions. It's or funny you learn that about... you
1: mention the Luralin village stuff because that's just like a side adventure. Like mm-hmm. not even part of the main story, but there's like there's so one of the things that stands out to me is that not only do you have these like longer form side quests now, and by the way, the game does differentiate between the smaller sides like content and the longer side content. And the longer ones are called side adventures now, the shorter ones are side quests. Mm-hmm. Uh but the learner one Learn village stuff is an excellent example because no matter where you really go in Hyrule, you're probably going to run up against someone that's either from Lureland Village or has heard about what's going on there and they'll tell you about it. So it's like even if you don't chance upon it like yourself, sooner or later you'll find out there's something there. And that if you ever want to explore that region of the map, it's something to look out for. And then like even after you have like driven away the pirates and you've rebuilt it. Like, you'll still find NPCs that you can tell them about. It's like, oh, yeah, whirlwind was my hometown. I'm kind of worried about them, but I'm busy in the Zone I research or survey team right now. So I can't check. And then if you've done it, you can tell them. And it's like, oh, that'll help. me That that definitely makes me feel at ease and whatnot. It's just like, there's so much of this game where it will remember things that you have seen or done. And you'll get unique reactions from NPCs. like. I explored a lot in the depths and did stuff that I really realistically shouldn't have done until much later. And then once I finally unlocked the next portion of, uh, Josha's uh, chasms, like chasm investigation thing, I, I talked to her and she says, okay, once you do this and then my character's like, well, I've actually already done this. And it's like, okay, well, can you do this? And I'm like, well, I've done that too. And she's like, okay, uh, why do I even have an investigation team?
0: <laughs> That's neat. I like that. Um, I haven't quite any, i haven't quite done anything quite like that, but I do enjoy how if you talk to characters, and we talked about this in like the terms of Konseki games or whatever. But characters will their dialogue will progress based on who who else you've talked to, um, how far in certain quests you've um. You've progressed, not tied to like your menu, not tied to your quest log or adventure log. Um, A very simple example of this is that early on, and I don't know if there's a quest tied to this yet or not, but in the Rito area, you learn of basically Ritos in a lot of games, or at least in Wind Waker, are postmen. In this game, they're not postmen, but they like started like a newspaper company. And you meet this really cool character, I'm forgetting his name. It's like a a white Rito with a very long beak that has like the launch
1: pad. Hmm? falcon
0: yeah so he's got a uh, like dark duck launch pad that guy he, he's got like the aviator goggles and the ear flaps yeah. and, and he's like a, and you meet him very briefly in uh lookout landing you don't have to talk to him but you can and then in the rito area you go to one of the stables which is now like the home base of this uh rito gazette and you talk to him again and talk to like the the owner of the establishment and they're just talking about basically how they're trying to deliver news all over the the world about the um about all over hyrule about the crank going songs and things like that and he you know he spoke to me as as though i had spoken to him and look landing and there's no quest tied to this or whatever he's like oh it's nice to see you again and i'm like would well, that dialogue have been different if this was my first time meeting him would he even be here yeah so just just the fact that uh, my my example is not as impressive as yours because you've decided to just go out and women and explore through the chasms uh, before you're directed to, but I'm just having a lot of enjoyment, just slowing down, talking to people, reading books, learning the lay of the land outside the uh, the progression of the main story beats. If I, I believe if I go into my adventure log, I have like three or four or five main story beats and a few side adventures. And one of the side adventures is basically you're with this um monster eradication team or whatever they're called. And in general, it's kind of fun because in this game, and I'll remind myself of recent Zelda history, in in recent Zelda history, this is the first direct sequel that takes place in the same location because everyone knows who Link is. Well, not everyone. Most people know who Link is. You're already well-respected. People already kind of see you as someone they can trust and depend on. You're not like some... Some person from Ordon Village or from Skyloft that is proving themselves and becoming the hero. You're kind of already the hero, which just kind of gives it a different vibe. Like when you're encountering these uh, Helion soldiers, they're like, "Hey, we're gonna go. We're gonna go out for this encampment to the south of town. We could really use an experienced warrior like yourself to help us out." And it doesn't like the gameplay of taking over this Bokoblin camp with NPCs at your side is not. It's nothing novel, but the the framing of why that can be and how you're kind of like this trusted soldier amongst other people that inhabit the world is just slightly different flavor from from other Zelda games. And I don't play Zelda games for the story, not really, but I'm kind of enjoying it here. It feels like there's lots of the story threads going on but you're you're at your choice and leisure about which ones you want to explore and there's so many stories like the Laurel and Village stuff which I didn't I assumed it was a main plot point because I had heard about it from two or two or three different people um in Lookout Landing but apparently it's just a side thing and then you t- and then you can learn about uh just all the different characters in terms of like going to Rideau Village and how the, the the shopkeep there has limited supplies because the bridge is out and because of the bridge is out they can't uh, they can't transfer supplies in from the nearby station. And I'm like, I wonder if you can repair the bridge. I don't know. So I'm just this game is just a, a if you have a, a high degree of wanderlust, it is it is an explorer's kind of dream. I'm try, I'm trying to like stay away from using too superlative language and just sound like a like a marketing dummy. I mean, but, uh, <laughs> I
1: I it's okay to acknowledge when a game is just straight up like revolutionary. Like Breath of the Wild was already revolutionary, and this one like even more so because it's like but for different reasons. Like it mm-hmm. expands upon what made Breath of the Wild great, but then it has its own unique things that like, it's like how many video games are direct sequels and directly build upon like stuff that happened in the previous game because a lot of like video game sequels because they assume that people might not have played the previous game they're kind of they play it safe they don't try and like follow up on things from the previous game quite as much but this one nintendo knows we sold 30 million copies realistically most people playing this have played breath of the wild and so because of that you're you're playing through and it's like there's follow-ups to Super long side quest chains from the first game that you can chance upon, like Terrytown. If you did anything from Terrytown in the first game, it's still around. And like Hudson and Ronson, who get married at the end of the side quest chain, they have a daughter now. There's a whole side adventure about how their daughter, a Gerudo, is about to be escorted to Gerudo Town because, as is customary, she needs to grow up there. And there's like a thing you can do, and it's like it's very touching. It's like most of the payoff for that is from if you had done the side quest in the previous game, but Mm. it's here. And it's like, because Nintendo knows that people have spent hundreds of hours playing breath of the wild and so many people played it that they can have this there. And it's like, well, it's still like, it's still like an interesting side, like adventure if you've never played breath of the wild, but realistically, it's like so much of this game is just, well, well, We're making a sequel, but not just a sequel thematically or a sequel narratively. We're making a sequel as in what if we made a game where it's not an expansion, obviously, but it feels like it's almost stapled to the end of Breath of the Wild, like a natural what exactly would have happened next if you were playing the exact in the same world, but it had evolved over like the five or six years in game since since you uh, beat Calam to Ganon.
0: I was, actually, I was actually kind of wondering about that. It seems like it takes place like four to five years later, which is interesting because all the same characters are present, but I already mentioned like Tulin is older now and becomes a partner character. Um, other other characters are all still around and they act like they've known you for a while. So it's actually I kind think, of fun.
1: I think like the, I, I think cheekily the, uh, the gap of time between Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom is the same amount of time that it took between the two games released.
0: It's actually kind of fun. I like that. Oh, and Pura, who is obviously hundreds of years old, but has in the first game has the body of a very small child now has the body of like an adolescent, like a 16, 17 year old. So also kind of shows the progression of the characters. Robbie's still around, too. He's I, love, I like his um. I actually kind of enjoy how there is voice acting in major scenes, but not much in uh regular gameplay. It's the the old usual like uh voice clip call outs. I'm not sure we call them chirps i don't know it feels very classic zelda to me but obviously they still um give the uh the full voice lines for the really meaningful stuff Uh, i actually haven't seen many of the like just like in um breath of the wild how you have zelda's memories from the 100 years ago In this one you have these what are they called uh you base dragon steers and you kind of encounter one very near the center uh that has the very first main story thrust about what happened to Zelda after the events of the opening. I'm not going to say what it is, but it's the only one I've found so far. Uh, so there's, it's very, this very open world syndrome in terms of being able to s- explore and see a whole lot and feel like you're not progressing the main quest, but you also kind of don't care because you're having a blast doing it. Um, What did, did, did I know I'm only eight hours in or so, And you're a little bit farther than me, but right now, unless this really goes off the rails, I do think of this game is better than Breath of the Wild. And based on your wording, I think you think so too.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's different enough where Breath of the Wild also, like, obviously, still stands on its own merits because of like the different abilities and like all that. But it's just, I don't know. Like one of the things that stands out to me is that. You play enough Breath of the Wild, eventually you're going to run across a repeat shrine where it's like what it wants you to do is basically some like entire like exactly the same as another shrine you've done. I've done a lot of shrines, I've not found a repeat. And there's more shrines this time because you have some of the sky islands, you have more on the surface. It's like, Oh I, I was going to ask, like,
0: is it uh is it 100 and it's 120 in the first in Breath of the Wild? I think. I, I was think like
1: the. I think the number of shrines now is 151 because I think wow. you yeah, have 119 on the surface and 32 in the sky.
0: And I I kind of like the the micro shrines. I like them in Breath of the Wild, I like them here. And they they're the fact that you can do so much with the ultra hand and the um nuts and bolts abilities, like I know some people didn't care for those, and I guess it's this, this kind of leads to me like I want to play devil's advocate a bit here. Like for people that didn't like Breath of the Wild, they don't. They want a, mere, a more um, curated experience. They want a more traditional Zelda experience. I don't think Tears of the Kingdom is the game to convince them otherwise. It definitely builds on what Breath of the Wild was. So if you're someone person that just did not latch on to Breath of the Wild, I'm not going to say, "Well, Tears of the Kingdom fixes that for you." I have heard that it, that there is more. Like I can already see in the Overworld. A little bit more of the almost like the skyward sword approach where they put like dungeon like puzzles in the overworld as you progress towards the different regions of the map i actually don't know quite what replaces the divine beasts yet and i don't know if i want to discuss that because that could get into like spoiler territory yeah but... yeah
1: i i will say that obviously there are dungeons in this game mm-hmm. um it might not be enough for the people that wanted more traditional Zelda dungeons, but it's definitely more like those than the Divine Beasts. And one dungeon in particular I've done already is a highlight for me. And maybe next week we'll talk about it, but it's definitely too early to talk about this week.
0: Yeah, so next week we'll probably certainly talk about Zelda again and maybe give a, a little bit more um, of a direct talk about what happens later. Because I'm planning to put a lot of time into this game. Uh before next week. But yeah, to finish my thought, I it definitely is an improvement on Breath of the Wild. I mean, I I know I feel kind of silly saying that only 8 hours in, but I've I've enjoyed my first despite losing like Breath of the Wild had of course the novelty factor or something completely different we hadn't seen before. Tears of the Kingdom at its surface is something we've seen before, but it doesn't feel like it. Like the fact that they managed to do that is I think incre- uh, incredible and also crazy. Uh I'm trying to think of what else we want to talk about here, uh, without going too much into spoilers. I do love how the the shrines teach you things that, like, the shrines are very smart in terms of, of course, the, it's the one progression system of the game, really. And I know one criticism Breath of the Wild had is that since there's no exp and all your weapons are are fragile, um, you didn't have a lot of incentive to, to fight and that kind of like might still be the case here a little bit i suppose if you see a bokoblin camp unless you're interested in the chester garden where you just need some bokoblin parts maybe you could say that you could there's the same flaw that maybe you don't have a lot of incentive to fight but i'm actually looking at this game and i kind of wish more open world rpg esque i know this game really kind of is on the fringe there games kind of did without progression systems we talk about of course this is a 10 year old comparison point but skyrim people who ignore the main quest and just go out and do what they want um skyrim has a progression system and i don't remember how uh how compelling it is of course it's been a while but i don't find that missing here you feel like you're getting stronger when you upgrade your your weapon slots you upgrade your hearts or you upgrade your stamina but i i feel like i'm free to go anywhere i don't i don't go into the goron area and i'm immediately like oh, I'm not strong enough for here. I have to turn back. It's not whether or not you're strong enough. It's kind of whether or not you've prepared. You have the supplies you need. You've got enough food on hand. Uh, you have the gear that matches the area. And of course, that's not new from Breath of the Wild. But I, it's been you know, six years since then. And it's still kind of a unique experience that, I've, that I'm getting here at Tears of the Kingdom that I don't think I've gotten in, in other games between the two. So I've really just enjoyed that aspect as well. It's just kind of having the freedom to go everywhere and not being punished to, to, just to pick a direction and just go. Adam, I know you haven't started yet, but I'm wondering if you had any like uh, comments about what you saw me play or any of the discussion that we've had so far. I've seen more than one person sort of say the following
2: with the game, and I think Alex said this too, he's, he's, he reviewed it, you, who reviewed it for us, that like starting out, maybe the first two or three or four hours of the game, you might kind of feel a little bit of vague fatigue, like I've already played this, but then as you kind of ramp into the game, you start to realize um more and more, how it's changed and different and evolved from Breath of the wild, and I've seen more than one person kind of with that feeling where at first they were maybe a bit lukewarm, but then they kind of start to realize just how different and evolved the game is, so that I'm gonna go when I start to play this game, which might be a while, um that's gonna be like my mindset, like okay, you know it's gonna take maybe a few hours to like kind of get over that initial i guess familiarity and then then they start to see how it's really new and different so that's just I, going I, literally
0: i have not played this game i have not booted it up that's just kind of going i've just seen that sentiment in a few places and i'm definitely eager because i haven't done like a full dungeon yet i, I think i'm close in the rito area but i haven't quite gotten there yet so i'm really eager to see because divine beasts as someone who really did enjoy breath of the wild a ton i would say that the divine beast dungeons were probably that one game's I won't say failing, but failure to reach potential. You have these like really awesome thematically, really cool ideas. These like automatons that you're trying to revive to beat back the calamity, and you find they're like champion and all that. All that stuff thematically is really cool. Then you go into the divine Beast and they all look kind of samey with really simple puzzles. It's like a, a half hour dungeon. So without any spoilers, I'm really eager to see what that first equivalent experience is like, and I'm, I'm hoping next week on the podcast to kind of you know, recount you with the same sort of tales that, that James did. And James will hopefully be par- farther too and talk a little bit more about where the story goes, um, about some of the uh some of the things that this game is kind of hinting at in terms of the game's history and all that things. And I don't like I said, I don't play all the games typically for the story. I'm I more play them for the puzzles and the adventure. But uh everything here like I I'm just I'm just eager to see more. I, I wanted to sit in my pajamas <laughs> and just play this game and I don't want to go to work on Monday and it feels like a kid again and I know that sounds like people who definitely bounce off breath of the wild are probably tired of hear us hearing us you know glowing over this game but it's just something where I've easy 10 hours in feels like it's going to be hard to top and I just want to see more
1: the fact that breath of the wild there was like a strong there was at least a strong argument that it was like the best game of all time and the fact that Tears of the Kingdom has managed to be a follow-up that feels like a worthy follow-up is just insane.
0: Yeah. We, we always kind of talk about the Assassin's Creed 2 effect. We're like, all right, a sequel set the foundation or an original game will set the foundation then the sequel will really drive it home. It's like, well, Breath of the Wild was already so well-received for what it did. Can a sequel do that? And Tears of the Kingdom is like, hold my beer <laughs> or whatever. Uh, like, yeah, I can now, I'm trying to, again, like play devil's advocate a little bit. Like, I wonder if there's anything that's missing from. Here's the kingdom that maybe the breath of like, I'm trying to figure out any ways where the game feels too iterative or too derivative. And I'm I'm honestly like struggling. Uh, I guess I don't know how the champion ability with that analog quite is yet. Uh, unless it is the partner ability. Hey, can I um... actually not always I'll, I'll say that question for later. I have so many questions that I want to ask you, but I don't know if I want to spoil anything. So I think we'll kind of keep this discussion uh, yeah. as high level here for this week, which might mean that we're kind of a little bit more limited into where we can go here. I'm trying to think if there's any other topic area that we need to discuss here before before closing out and, re- and reconvening next week. Um, I guess, have you found any like really neat fusions? Like I, like the, the game obviously kind of hints at some very obvious uh, and very basic fusions like putting the um, the Keith eyeball on an arrow to make it a glowing arrow, or the bright blooms to to light up an area. Um, I really enjoyed the uh, putting the flame sprayer on a shield to to make it like a flamethrower as you as you raise your shield. I don't know if you found any neat combinations uh, on your end that are just like you know Zelda hack fuse these things
1: together and you end up having like a really useful tool. Um, so one thing I found that was in the trailer is that you can strap a rocket to your shield, and if you hold it out, you'll just rocket jump into the air.
0: Yeah, I found one shrine that had rockets, but I haven't found them in the overworld yet. So, but I am eager to like. I, we talked about the lack of Ravali's Gale. Like, I don't have Ravali's Gale, but I got a rocket, <laughs> so yeah. that'll work. Uh, it do, it does mean you can't. Thing, go
1: ahead. The other thing is that uh, you can attach like all sorts of elemental things to your weapons to make them elemental. But like one thing that kind of stands out is if you get a Lizalfo's tail, you can connect it to your sword and it'll like extend the range because it'll like flick out like whip.
0: Hmm. That's kind of neat. Oh, that does remind me of two things that are semi-related that I did find early on. There's a quest in Rito Village, a very, very basic one. Like you said, the side quests are very small, where the the shop owner, one of the, the Fletchers, is like, I'm trying to create an ice arrow, um, but I need some of the... It's not the chill shroom, but like the ice fruit. And if you find me an ice fruit, uh, I'll give you some arrows for free. And I, I hadn't found an ice fruit yet, but I did have an ice chew jelly in my pocket. And she's like, wait a minute, that's not what I was looking for, but that'll work. Here, give me that chew jelly, and I'll make you some. I'll give you some arrows, so you can make some ice arrows. And the that's such a basic. And this whole thing took like two minutes. Very like a quest received, got the reward, and done. But just the fact that the a very basic quest like that still was like there are multiple ways to make ice arrows. Multiple you know materials you can use to do that, and not only like. Can you do that in the, in the confines of the game mechanics? But this quest that's kind of teaching you it will also allow you to do the alternate thing. If you have the ice chew jelly, then you don't need the chili fruit to to make that. And the other one I found was um, there's a type of we talk. There's like the semi like mini boss type creatures um, in the base game, like the Hinoxes and the Muldugas. There's there's one that's basically a giant fuse construct. I believe it's fuse construct. It might be called Fuse yeah. golem, and then when you beat it, you get some supplies and et cetera, et cetera. And then there was like this core, like this, like this spinning cylinder that I couldn't quite pick up, and I couldn't move it. And I was like, "What is this?" And I, I tried taking a picture of it, and I couldn't take a picture of it. And I'm like, "What, what do I do with this?" Very clearly, I'm intended to do something with it. And I'm like, "Wait a minute!" And I used the fuse ability and attached it to a sword, and it was like a ten, a plus ten bonus to my sword. So I'm like, oh, okay. Like there are items that have no other or as far as I can tell, no other intended use. You can't even put it in your bag. It's kind of like coming across a boulder in the overworld where you can attach that to your sword and make a hammer. That one's very clearly shown in the marketing. But just a reward for beating this uh monster is you can fuse it to like find your best weapon, fuse this thing to your strongest sword, and you've got a really powerful like boss killer. And of course it'll eventually still break all things do in Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom. But I just thought that was really the the fuse system. Basically, what I'm getting at here is that uh, it provides another like reward or progression scheme. Like you do exploring an area or defeating a mini boss. Sure, it might give you some materials and supplies, but it might also give you something that you can fuse one of your weapons to make it even stronger at least for a time. So I just thought that was really clever and uh, kind of like the out of the box thinking that Nintendo does well when they are at their best. And speaking of taking pictures of the compendium, I. I am a sucker for this, and it was in the first game, and I believe it's even more so here. Like as soon as I got the ability to take pictures and log them in your in your encyclopedia, like I'm taking stuff out of my inventory, I'm dropping my weapons to take pictures of them, and I think it's like 700 total pictures you can do between items and monsters or or and uh, materials and weapons. But those that are like completionists, like me, like I could see myself really trying to dive in and be like, oh, wow, a rare enemy. But first I got to take a picture of it. And obviously completely optional. I don't know if there's any reward scheme related to your Hyrule Compendium completion percentage, but it's something. It's there to do. And it kind of just helps illustrate how much is in this game. I think there's over 100 monster varieties. And yeah, some of them are recolors, red and blue, goblins bu- or whatever. Uh, but just a testament to how much variety there is in the game, uh, notwithstanding. I did also like how I got a side quest um, one thing that's added to this game, pretty small, but uh just something more to do, is the wells. Around every stable and around every city, there's different wells that you can jump in. And you find a person in one of them who's literally like, I'm a well enthusiast. It's very silly. I love wells. I think there are 58 of them. You found three. You should report them to me and I'll give you stuff if you find more. And I'm like, oh boy, if I want to complete all the quests, I have to find all 58 wells now. Um and then there's the uh Another progression system that's kind of fun is the pony points with the stables, where as you uh, do quests around the stables or you check into each one, you get like a like a it's like a membership system, uh, like a phone app for a fast food restaurant or whatever. And as you as you tear up in there, you get different uh, materials like the first one you get is a harness for your horse so that you can attach it to buggies like using the ultra hand system. Um, I got some material, which it told me I had to take to Hateno, which I believe is for your paraglider, which I believe is also customizable, but I haven't unlocked that quite yet.
1: One thing about the uh, the hook thing is, well, the, uh, the thing for your horse. Um, it's funny because you see all these videos of people uh, having to move these uh, Koroks with the big backpacks. Mm-hmm. Once you get that, you can literally just like like, uh, ultra hand it to the <laughs> horse and just drag it along. It's like, oh my god, you're torturing the poor thing!
0: Oh, yeah, so so Koroks Koroks are the I, sorry, I'm stumbling over my words here. The Koroks return, of course. A lot of the mini puzzles are st- are set still just like micro sized little things and are still really engaging and fun to find. But there's a new type of Korok puzzle, which is basically like a Korok that is wearing a giant backpack that wants to go to his friend who has a campfire set up. And it's basically like, I, I can't move. Please take me to my friend. And you encounter this very early on. There's like a tutorial one in on the sky area. And usually it seems like the, the goal is, is that you gotta put them on a cart, put them on a put them on a use your your ultra hand abilities, figure out what way to move them to get them to the place they want to go. And it sounds like the horse buggy just kind of trivialize that as long as there's no gaps to cross. So I really and those and those puzzles give you two Korok seeds, which of course are still used um with Hestu to increase your your weapon and, and shield and bow uh item allotment just just a question for you james how many korok seeds did you end up finding in the uh in, in breath of the wild in the original game
1: how many did i find yeah i don't remember that was six years ago <laughs> oh
0: okay i was wondering if you were crazy enough to do all of them adam were you oh, crazy no. enough to do all of them
2: no i got enough to uh i did go out of my way to get like 400 of them which is like enough to get all the upgrades yeah and then when it didn't have any more upgrades it's like well you can still collect korok seeds for the final reward but like nah that's not, not worth it
0: yeah and i remember thinking um i'll get enough to get all the upgrades but then i'd gotten everything else i did the dlc i got the motorbike all that other stuff and i was like you know what i'm done i and that's like after 150 hours or how much i put into that game and i'm expecting to put just as much or more into this one uh maybe i'll feel more completionist i don't know right now i'm feeling really gung-ho about about finding them all um and those those new Korak puzzles are really kind of neat and i'm I'm interested to see like the different sorts of puzzles like i've already found like the the chasing the flower or the, the the rotate the piece into position uh and of course the new ones with the with the dual puzzles with the one trying to get to his friend so i'm i'm Th- those are those are those were a brilliant idea then and they're and they're still just as good now that's kind of all i have for that it's i i i'll just state it this way as soon as we're done recording this podcast and i have one social obligation tonight i'm eager to really play more of this game and just it's just as good as i think the critical reception has been and if if it's not the sort of game because uh, for a person that did Brown's opera breath of the wild I don't know if this is the game that changed their mind, but for people who really adored Breath of the Wild or thought it was maybe lacking, but like the idea of it, this game, I do think just hits all the same high notes. And it's, I, I, in my early impression, just think that that reception is well-deserved. And with that, we'll move on to, I believe Breath of the Wild was the only game we had, or sorry, Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom is the only game that we had earmarked here, but I feel like we'll almost certainly be talking about it again next week um so i'm okay kind of cutting the discussion how dare i short of an hour <laughs> for that game but especially if we get uh josh and chow i know both of them at least own the game i don't know i know chow has been stuck playing a uh, hawkeye star rail more than tears of the kingdom uh, but if we get them back next week we'll you're to hear their impressions of the game as well um and potentially maybe i'll maybe i'll throw out a feeler to alex see if he wants to talk about it since he did a uh, review of the game for us but time zones might make that difficult and also next week, we'll see if we can get some time uh, with potentially, no promises, but Fuga, Melodies of Steel. Obviously, like a passion project for CyberConnect2 happened to release and coincided with with Zelda in terms of coverage. But luckily, it seems like May outside of Zelda is not that packed. It really ramps up really towards the end of the year, uh, of the month. So hopefully Fuga, for those that were following that series, does uh, kind of get a little bit of time to breathe once the the, the Zelda zeitgeist um at least dies down I a little start, bit from the initial I launch did start Fuga.
2: i just haven't played oh you it did like so have an opinion on it yeah yeah cause I, I, did it... The, I did the first chapter which is the tutorial it pretty much lays out the premise i was in the pre-release trailers and whatnot and so far all the mechanics are basically the same i know there's a few like uh oh i know there is one new mechanic um where you ha- you get leader skills, which are I guess are like similar to the advanced wars leader skills that Malt can do, and there's like a light side dark side sort of system, um, not really, but I- I'm trying to remember what they call it. One is like empathy, and one is like uh, there's t- the two paths is empathy, and it's almost like conviction or something like that. Depending on you get when you stop in the few towns in the game, you sometimes get a choice for one or the other. It's not like a, it's not like light side dark side where one cancels out the other, if that makes sense, or just like two separate meters really. At mm-hmm. least I believe. Um again, I'm very early into the game, so I might be wrong. Um But depending on your choices, you get different leader skills. So I just unlocked that system, and that seems to be like that's the one new mechanic I've run into so far. But again, I barely have played it, so it's uh hard to say how it's different or better or worse or changed from the the original game. I will say that uh, I remember when I played the original Fuga on PC, it was stuck to uh, 30 frames per second, and you had to use a mod or a, like an INI option, uh, modification to get it higher to better frame rate. This game just performs better off the bat. That's good to hear. Yeah, it's nice. You know, it's just like a small thing. You just playing it on PC, it works better. It's obviously very similar. Um, but yeah, more on that later, I suppose.
0: Yeah, so obviously uh, we'll do our for real Fuga talk next week once people have more time to in it. But kind of cool to know that you you purchased it and you do plan on uh, not obligated to play for next week. I know you've got a few things on your plate right now, but know that you know both these games came out within a day of each other and we only have enough time to play one or the other. So we will be talking about Fuga, if not lex- next week, hopefully uh, later into the spring or early in the summer. Uh, we do have a lot of other features up on the site. Of course, we did already talk about the... Uh, Alex wrote up our Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom review. I guess I never stated this explicitly, but he did give it a 10. Uh, I believe it's our first 10 this year. Let me let me scroll down. Our review first here.
2: 10 since Xenoblade 3, I think, which was last year, obviously.
0: Oh, wait. Nope. Nope. I forgot one. How did I forget this? Uh, James gave Final Barline a 10 out of 10.
2: Oh, yeah. I forgot about Final Barline
0: which is also, everything I hear from that game is well-deserved for that for that for for what that game's going for. It's the highest possible recommendation. So yep, last three 10s for Xenoblade 3, final bar line, and now Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, and then James did mention that uh, we have primarily him and Alex and maybe a few other people are going ahead and writing a bunch of guides up on the site for Tears of the Kingdom, some puzzle solutions, uh, how to respec, things like that. So we do also have those up as well. More interestingly, we do also have a couple other reviews that have gone up the site uh, in the last uh, in the last week. Uh, two of these are reviews for games that had come out a while ago. One last month and one actually in December. So Scott put up a review for a game that I talked about on the podcast about a month ago. This was the um, Riot Games uh, League of Legends story spinoff called The Mage Seeker uh scott wrote up uh, his review for that game and in general he f- it feels like he was a little bit more positive on it than i was uh i kind of just stated that it was fine it was like a 10 hour simple concept action game isometric a little bit slower and didn't feel as fun to play as something like hyperlight drifter but i kind of enjoyed it all the same uh but he has his reviews up on the site as well he gave it an eight thought it was uh, a pretty fun experience didn't uh its it's Uh, He actually says it's one of the best best indie action games of the year. I don't know what that is in comparison to in terms of indie action games this year. But, you know, his words, not mine. But that review is up on the site. Another review that we put up on the site is a game we spoke maybe in January about. And it came out in December. Another indie JRPG, a turn-based RPG. Uh, This is Chained Echoes, a game that has had pretty positive word of mouth. Uh, We talked about it on the podcast Either late in December or early in January, where I had recently played it, and so had Josh. And uh, recently, Adam just got around to playing it and decided he was going to write a review for it. So he wrote up a review for Chained Echoes, and released that. Just published it on the site uh, a day or two ago. I guess Adam, I'm obligated, obligated to say, like, do you have any? Do you want to speak to your review at all, or do you just kind of wanted to to lay it? I alive? think it's
2: a really solid game, um, especially considered it's made by like one person one composer and like some art help and that's basically it not not counting the publishing side um so like considering that it's really really impressive uh it kind of just ticks the boxes for me in terms of uh like i'm always kind of a a tinkerer there's so you get so many characters in the game and not only that but the loadout of each character there's quite a bit of variety in what you can do with each one and so there's a lot you can do in terms of like trying out different abilities and characters and things and the way the game is built you don't really have to worry about a character falling behind or min maxing too much or uh grinding or or like you don't have to worry about like these characters the characters going to use and the rest are warmers because that's not how the game works in terms of mechanics and EXP. And so it kind of works to my sensibilities in that sense. Um, I know Josh's big criticism, which I do understand, is that it does have a lot of inspirations. that some Some are more subtle than others, but some are very overt inspirations from other games and some anime and whatnot. And so sometimes it might be a little bit banal, where it's just like, oh, this is just X from Y or whatnot. But still, there are some unique mechanics. Like the Overdrive system is relatively simple, but I think it's kind of effective and fun. Um, you know, and there's some interesting story hooks and things like that. Um, but otherwise, it's a really solid game. Spe- really impressive, especially considering, you know, it's basically one person's passion passion project. Uh, has a nice art style. Has a really good soundtrack. Um, one nice thing about the soundtrack is that um, all these tracks are like wholly original, but there are like certain instrumentations or motifs that are that do are recognizable in terms of like oh this reminds me of this track from from Final Fantasy 8 or whatnot, and so you know, like that's it's one of those things like if you know you know, but they're still very, the music is still stands on its own and is very very good. And lastly, uh and this was kind of part of the game's design like philosophy I actually went back to the Kickstarter page and looked at what they said you know way back in 2019 one thing that's sort of refreshing about the game is there's actually not that many like random battle encounters it's intentionally designed so in any any map of the game there might be like three encounters on the map that you run into it's like chrono trigger in that sense right and so you're not spending so much time just mowing down mook after mook after mook. Either it's a little bit more meaningful where it's just you have different battle encounters on the map and you can explore, you can do the questing and you can do the uh, the reward board or the, the, the recruiting of characters or whatnot. And you don't have to worry about like, oh, there's so many battles. And it's balanced really well where uh, because there's no like EXP and you can't really grind, uh, it's balanced well where encounters never feel like a cakewalk uh in the new areas and bosses do take a little bit of you know you can't just mash attack all the time in fact the overdrive system kind of prevents you from doing that uh, if you don't want to fail so i think it's just kind of like really well balanced it's otherwise just really solid and yeah otherwise read the rest of my review
0: so no and as someone who also played this but Never, I, I never had the gumption to write a review, so thank you for doing that. Uh, but a lot of your sentiments do echo mine. I guess I just wasn't bothered by the references. Um, Though potentially, Josh has a point where he he likely caught more of them than I did, just having played more of those PSX, SNES era RPGs. So maybe if you're overly familiar with the references, then depending on just your feelings on their use in this game, you might feel one way or the other, in terms of whether you think it elevates the game or whether you think it's just a distraction. But just mechanically, story-wise, I do also think that it's really well put together. And even though I haven't written a review here yet, uh, I did uh, go ahead. And because it's topical, we talked about Mage Seeker as an indie project. Uh, well, kind of an indie project. It's an indie project backed by Riot. Um, then we got uh, Chain Deco here, of course, truly an indie project. And I just finished a game I talked about last week, Cassette Beasts. Um, I didn't ex- explicitly earmark time to to talk about it here. Uh, but I just wanted to follow up and say that my strong impressions did persist through the game. I finished it after about 35 hours. Um, having, don't, don't have, having not had a lot of experience with Pokemon likes, uh, I, I enjoyed the game immensely. I thought it had some really interesting uh, concepts. You talked about music in Chain echoes. I really liked the music motifs in uh, Cassette Beasts. This is going to be hard to describe, but a lot of the music sounds like Kind of generic Pokemon fair until the game, one of the game's primary mechanics is fusion. And I spoke about it very briefly last week, but uh it's always double battles, and pretty much any mini-boss fight or any um trainer fight with two people, you can expect that their monsters will fuse at one point. And whenever, and there's a there's a toggle for this in the settings if you don't like it, but I really liked it a lot. Um, whenever You fuse or the enemies fuse in that game. The the same track will not change, but vocals will be added to it. And I'm trying to describe the vocals. It's like melodic-y trance emo music. It's hard to describe, but uh, I'll see if I can find uh, some YouTube tracks if they exist on YouTube to put potentially in the site post. But it's just... Without any um transition or anything like that you'll just be in the middle of a battle, and then you'll you'll hear the vocals just subtly come in and you're like, all oh, right, I fused so the vocals are gonna come in, and it just works really well and a lot of the music's really catchy, and I never got tired of it um, The story I talked about last week went to some kind of strange places with like these archangels, these monster creatures, and it ended up like i don't know if it put as pretty of a bow as possible on there, but it ended up really kind of. With a fun narrative idea about how the archangels worked, how this island out of time worked, um, what exactly the beasts are, and the, the general concept, and I'm not gonna like this would probably be better suited for a written essay, but the idea of the game is that uh, human beings are capable of creating a lot, and talked about how uh, that can be music, that can be art. That can be stories. That can be whole characters, and those characters can have. Uh, and the idea of with, with cassette bees is that those those characters can have thoughts and aspirations of their own. Um, all of the archangels are basically like abandoned ideas. So it kind of has like this interesting like narrative hook, which I don't know if it lands completely like as strongly as it could. But it's a concept that I wasn't expecting going in, and like the the little it leads up to it pretty well. I think it's pretty thematic. It's interesting. It's different. Uh, and it kind of concludes in a pretty fun way, I thought. So Cassette Beast, also very good. It, it's out on PC only right now, but it'll come out on consoles before the end of the month. I'll probably go ahead and see if I can if I can find time. I'll go ahead and probably write up a review for it uh, as well. And then the last uh, feature that's up on the site is not a review, but a preview of another game coming out in a few months, and that is the Atelier Marie remake. And Paige was able to uh, get early access to this game who has played a handful. She reviewed Atelier Sophie 2 for us. Maybe maybe Rise of 2 as well. Did she do Rise of 2?
2: I think James did, didn't he?
0: Oh, who did? I thought Paige reviewed one of them. I might be wrong. All right. Well, uh, I know just just in chat with Discord and things like that, I know she's a big fan of the series. and I think she
1: did Sophie 2, I think. Yeah, James did Rise of 2. Yeah, I did Rise Uh, of 2.
0: Okay. Who did Rise of 1?
1: Uh,
0: that was um chris okay all right so yeah yeah chris did rise of one james did two and then nathan did three that's kind of fun i didn't i didn't quite catch that we had a different person on each rise of game and all thought pretty highly of all three so uh turns out there might be something there anyways but we're not talking about rise of, we're talking about marie remake and page i know it's just a preview and you could talk about how how those are kind of limited in utility but is very much looking forward to that game in July. Uh, so her preview uh, impressions are up on the site as well. All right, we're going into the news section here, and I have a little headline on our outline about main topics that we have to talk about. And I didn't put anything here, um, so I, I I scoured through our news posts. I looked through some of the other like just uh, other the other websites online, and I couldn't see anything that was in the last seven days that like oh, we have to talk about this as a main news headline. Uh, Adam, I'm not, as one of our primary, as the primary news writer for the site, I don't know if you kind of agreed with that. Just kind of a quiet week on the news front.
2: Yeah, a couple of indie things, you know, a couple of updates. Like there's another Genshin update, you know, which is, you know, this is like the 22nd one. So it's not that surprising. Yeah. But... <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I just always want to make sure like, that I'm not missing something because just because Nintendo or Square didn't announce something, making sure that I didn't let something else slide through the cracks. Uh, we do have a few other small things here. This is probably the biggest headline of this week in the absence of a, of a major announcement is that we did get kind of Nintendo's uh, quarter four results for the fiscal year 2023, which of course people are curious about specifically Fire Emblem Engage released uh, in the middle of the quarter in January. How well did it do? it has sold 1.6 million units which of course the fact that fire emblem in a quarter can sell a million and a half units is incredible compared to where the uh, series was you know 10 years ago uh but of course the main comparison here was well how does that compare to three houses which of course three houses i'm not sure if he can explain like the mystique behind it whether the there was like a bunch of uh like serendipity in terms of its release in terms of its content its art style uh but it had sold 2.3 million units in its first quarter so it seems like engage is off to a very hot start though potentially slightly slower than three houses doesn't quite have the same like cultural zeitgeist behind it i don't know if that's a way to describe it like so i'm not a business analyst i don't know if i can explain it in much more terms than that but three houses just seemed like you saw it everywhere you saw the fan art you saw people who don't typically play Fire Emblem games like really get into the uh like the sim aspect of it the persona the social nature of it which Engage didn't quite go as heavy on so maybe it didn't quite latch on to those audiences just with his marketing or with his art style but still like i don't want to like just make this a point of comparison it's sold a million and a half units i think it's the second highest selling Fire Emblem games first quarter just behind three houses it's a small
2: anecdote hmm?
0: Way back when
2: I was working at Target in the electronics section when uh, Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn released. Mm-hmm. And pardon my language but no one gave a shit. Like <laughs> we got like four copies, and they went on the shelf. I bought one of them and then the other three just sat there. No one cared. <laughs> like it was a nothing. Like it was it wasn't it was on the Wii, which was super popular but no one cared about the game. Uh, and it just after that was obviously before Awakening, which people realized, "Hey, this is pretty cool." Um, it's just kind of funny to, like, compare that experience when I was literally there, seeing it just sit on the shelf, languish away, and, uh, where it is now. As for, you know, Fire Emblem sales, just some hypotheticals, like, this game was very clearly like a celebration game of all the entries, so there might have been some, you know, resistance from people who hadn't played a lot, like, well, what do I get out of it? Um, Maybe people who tried Fire Emblem Three Houses and maybe, A, didn't really care for it. Like, well, maybe this isn't for me. Or two or B, um, maybe Fire Emblem Three Houses is a pretty big game. Like, well, I haven't even finished it yet, so I'm not going to buy the next one. Uh, so, you know, but obviously it still did really well, you know, what it, what it used to be. Three Houses is kind of lightning in a bottle. Uh, it's interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what happens next. Uh, the big rumor, which I don't know if there's... Uh, I don't know, even though exactly where this came from, or if there's uh, any sort of credibility to it, is that uh, Fire Emblem 4 remake?
0: Yeah, that rumor's rumor's been around forever, and I've heard it from people who would know if they knew. I've heard it from people who I don't really trust at all. (laughs) I've heard it, like, up and down and everywhere, so I don't know if that gives it more or less legitimacy in terms of rumors, Like kind of like how the Metroid Prime trilogy on Switch was a rumor and then ended up just being the first game, which is still, you know, excellent but it's like that rumor is so pervasive where I'm just like I have no idea what to believe uh, and I won't be surprised if we hear it in the next Independent Direct or if we don't um, but yeah uh, so engage anyway, I did like three go ahead uh,
2: engage I think obviously opinions can can vary but it seems like what a lot of people settled on kind of generally vaguely here is that as a tactical game very very good very solid probably an improvement from three houses but maybe some story character stuff is a little bit, you know, cheesier, flimsier. Uh, but as a tactical game, it's really, really good. And some yeah. of those emblem, you know, rings and the abilities and how you can mix and match is really, really good. And it and I, this kind of goes without saying it's very, very clearly like the best looking Fire Emblem game. Like it, as far as 3D it, entries go.
0: But It might be know, the best looking Switch game. Am I crazy right, to say it's, that? It, it's very good. Yeah. so yeah you know, and uh i did enjoy my time with it a lot um and i can i think a lot of our kind of criticisms and, and and accolades here are kind of in line with the consensus but uh did enjoy it a lot i'm glad i played through it i wish i enjoyed the dlc more i did enjoy how challenging the dlc was uh i already talked about that when that came out uh it kind of feels kind of weird though that like this game was announced late last year came out early this year, all the DLC out within three months. And now it kind of feels like it's already over. Like it felt yeah, like three, so. three houses, kind of felt like it had a much longer tail. And I wonder if we'll see that in sales or not. Cause I still to this day, see like three houses artwork just pop up on fan, fan artists on Twitter and things like that. I don't know if engage will have quite that. We'll see. see Cause uh, for,
2: like, for example, Xenoblade three, I thought was actually kind of surprising in terms of its sales. Uh it kind of on its first quarter sold basically as good as Xenoblade 2 or Xenoblade 1 definitive edition. Mm-hmm. But it did not have any tail. It the sales really slowed down and it probably won't catch two's lifetime, which Xenoblade 2 had more of a had more of a tail to it in terms of people picking it up after the fact due to word of mouth or whatnot. So it'll be interesting to see what Engage looks like. However, the way that Nintendo does sales updates uh we may not even know uh the reason why we see xenoblades 3s like second and third quarter sales updates is because they were within the same fiscal year when xenoblade 3 had already sold a million and when a game sells over a million that's when nintendo basically publishes it what i'm getting at here is next fiscal year until fire emblem Engage sells another million which may not happen. They're not going to publish what its sales updates are, so we may not even know.
0: So, and and to, to give some numbers to talk about, and I, I guess I didn't catch this when you public, when you posted this on our site. Yeah, so Xenoblade Chronicles three in quarter three last year sold one point eight million, and now it's at one point eight six in the next quarter. Yeah, so yeah, like...
2: basically fifty thousand units in a quarter.
0: So, yeah. <laughs> and if. I know I saw I did see some people two weeks ago, we talked about Future Connected and I did see some people wondering if you we were going to have a follow up in terms of like a super spoiler cast on that. I don't think we will. And if we do, I'd want to make sure that uh, Josh was here anyways, because he's the one that's been he's played cross and he's he's uh, I, I I don't want to speak for him, but I believe he's a big Takahashi fan in general. So I don't know if I'll we'll have a spoiler cost cast on that. But if we do, I do want to make sure Josh is here. Um, a few other little tidbits on uh, this Nintendo fiscal uh, briefing. Pokemon games continue to sell very well. Uh, the, the Scarlet and Violet up to 22 million. Arceus is up to um, uh, nearly 15 million. I do wonder if when we'll see another, or when and if we'll see another Pokemon Legends title. That's kind of like a side series. Um, Breath of the Wild.
1: Pro- if we do, I imagine it would probably be next year. Mm-hmm. Probably next year because then it would be like a two year gap between it. And I'm sure we'll see another one because um, they'll need at least a, one more filler year before they do the next Pokemon generation. So, mm-hmm.
0: Breath of the Wild obviously, a lot of talk on that earlier. It's at nearly 30 million, which is insane.
2: One tech, we do have DLC coming for Pokemon, so right, so, yeah
0: and I, admit, yeah. I will hopefully play through that game before that DLC
1: <laughs> It's crazy how quickly Scarlet and Violet is selling, because like Sword and Shield was already the best-selling Pokemon game since the originals, and the speed at which Scarlet and Violet is selling, like especially the legs with this last quarter, it'll probably cross like 30 million sold by the end of this year with like holiday sales and whatnot. I can see like, it. Insane.
0: And then, of course, our favorite RPG, our top 10 and the earliest Ring Fit Adventure, continues to sell. It sold a million, 1.3 million units between April 2022 and uh, what March 2023. I should pick and a copy of that up. Up to 15 million uh, units, up from 15 million. So is that like uh, 15 and a half million now? And again I know we've had this conversation a few times but it's it is crazy how like the the scale of things that we can talk about like a of like Xenoblade selling between 1 and 2 million Fire Emblem Engage selling between 1 and 3 million and then like oh by the way Ring Fit Adventure for every copy of Xenoblade and Fire Emblem combined Ring Fit has sold three copies <laughs> or things like that yeah. uh just the scale of those two things work. Uh and also I guess speaking of sales updates we'll stay on that tact Horizon Forbidden West, of course, recently had its Burning Shores expansion, uh, has sold 8.4 million copies since launch last year. And the total franchise sales of Horizon has surpassed 32 million copies, which means that I didn't realize Horizon Zero Dawn, plus I guess the Frozen Wilds expansion, has sold like 20 million. Mm -hmm. I I think
1: that might be including like PlayStation 4 bundles. Let's yeah, yeah and I'm pretty sure that's the main reason why uh, Forbidden West has sold as much as it has because, like, for a while there, the only PS5s you could buy were the bundles. So, hmm.
0: but hey, it works. Mm-hmm. Adam, did I forget it? Did you speak about Burning Shores much? I know you played it, I know other people like Tony, a um, friend of the site, also really enjoyed it.
2: So, where Born in Burning Shores is a little bit different from Frozen Wilds, <laughs> and that Frozen Wilds was like a side story. Where Burning Shores is actually sort of like it takes place after the game has ended. So mm-hmm. now I think they've confirmed Soft confirmed that there will be a Horizon 3. If you played Horizon 2, it's like obvious it's it's pretty much an Empire Strikes Back sort of ending. So it's like there it was no doubt that there's gonna be a Horizon Three before they even said it. But um uh this game takes place between them in a way. So Uh, it's it's going to be one of those things where you probably want to play it before 3 but I'm sure this game is going to get re-released on PlayStation 5 and on PC probably eventually whereas this Burning Shores expansion is just going to be bundled in just like Frozen Wilds if you buy Horizon Zero Dawn now you are getting Frozen Wilds included Uh, so uh, now in terms of the expansion itself it kind of feels like the old school sort of expansion where it just kind of feels like there's more of it you have a higher level cap there's a couple of new enemies, new location to explore, so on and so forth. And so if you liked Horizon Forbidden West, there's just here's more. Uh it it's kind of this is kind of silly to say, but I played the game on PlayStation 5, and this expansion is Playstation 5 only. Right. And they made an argument like, well, the reason why is because, you know, we can't we can't do this on PlayStation 4 for various technological reasons or whatnot. But this expansion does like visibly look better than the main game, even on even though I played the whole thing on PlayStation Five, and like the final boss especially is impressive, not only in its uh in its like visuals like fidelity, but also in its scope. And it's it's kind of just like Horizon or uh, Guerrilla Games kind of flexing in a way. And that's always so, it's always
0: good to have that spectacle once in a while. Yeah, some, some it, people get know, like we, set piece fatigue or whatever, but it's always kind of good every once in a while just to indulge in it,
2: right? So
0: you know, it's it kind of just feels like
2: more Horizon. So nothing revolutionary, not going to change your mind on the series on the series or wh- how whatever you think about it. But it's just more. It's fine. It's good.
0: I am planning to play it once it comes on PC, uh, even though I don't know when that'll be. It's not, it sounds like it'll be a few years.
2: But We'll see. Uh, I mean. God of War is on PC now. Last of Us is on PC now. Uh, I know the second God of War isn't yet, right? Just the first one. But it'll right. come eventually.
0: We'll go into like a few release dates here. And even this, there's not a ton. Um, on May 23rd, we're going to get the next major update to Final Fantasy XIV, 6.4. Um, and I'm just going to have to hand this off immediately to, to James to talk about what there is to be excited about. Final Fantasy XIV, The Dark Throne.
1: It's going to get more... Main story quest. You're gonna get a new uh, savage raid tier, which I uh, I don't know my plans for it. I don't have a static for it this time around, uh, mostly because the last uh, tier of an expansion is not that much reason to do it immediately. Because like obviously for the first tier and the second tier and then Walker, there were two ultimate fights that were waiting for you, and that's the reason you'd want best in slot, which is why you would want to do it as quickly as possible. Uh, there's not going to be a third ultimate fight for Endwalker, so there's not really any specific reason to get the best in slot. So I'll probably just like do it at my own pace, which is which is nice because I've been going really hard on raiding and Endwalker so far. So having an excuse to kind of slow down is is nice.
0: Yeah, not good. Not feel like you're on a time limit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's
0: uh. When do you that's, expect the next expansion to be announced? Like I don't know the normal
1: cadence. Probably fan fest, probably fan fest, which is going to be in July. I might still go to it because I've like reached out to PR and they said that they are going to handle like uh like um press passes, but they just haven't like they got the they they they've let me know that they uh got my email and that I'm on the list for whatever they're going to do and I did talk with them. Because I can say that I did like um, play 16 last week for uh, the preview event. Can't say anything more than that. But I did talk to them there and they reiterated that I am on that list. That's kind of neat. But uh, yeah, so probably Fan fests. That'd be my best guess. Because
0: mm-hmm. normally the point four and point five expansions kind of lead up into that, right? So this would be like expecting to start up kicking up the story threads of where that's going to go.
1: Yeah, especially since we know that the trial that we get for this one kind of uh, seems to end off the the expected like cadence of the story from the patch quests. So it's like, okay, this looks like it's going to finish up this story arc and probably at least give a tease for what is up to come next. So that makes sense.
0: Mm -hmm. And that'll be coming uh, out on uh, May 23rd. On May 25th, we're going to get a DLC for One Piece Odyssey, Reunion of Memories. I think we basically knew everything about this uh, DLC. Uh, just This is just an announcement of the release date, is that correct?
2: It sounds like it's basically... So the, the original game had like four different arcs from the anime, kind of like in-game form. This seems like not quite a new arc, but it's like, well, all the other stuff we didn't do, here's just like a bit from it, like there's like Mihawk and perona and Enel and you know just characters yeah were... I,
0: I remember seeing nl and i thought it was like a water seven focused arc but then this trailer wasn't even around. in water
2: seven know your one piece
0: oh uh, damn it yeah. this is this is why i haven't played uh <laughs> one piece odyssey because i'm not a fan of the series uh, uh damn. but
2: it showed uh exposed Luigi, Mookie, whatever is mm-hmm. how you pronounce his name from water Seven.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, but yeah it seems like it just has like characters that weren't in there in the in the game i haven't played the game it's. It seems like it had the characters from, uh, basically arcs that weren't included. Just like here's a little bit here and there from all throughout the series. So
0: it's uh, so basically it's a it's for for one it's a One Piece expansion for One Piece. It's a One Piece expansion for a One Piece game for One Piece fans. It's basically what I'm. It's kind of what I'm gleaning from yeah. this. So. And that comes out on May 25th, which I believe is the same date as the um, Horizon or sorry Horizon, Forspoken DLC. When is it in time it's to Really record? close to that? Uh, May 26th. All right, so, so 25th and then 26th. Mm-hmm. I still have that game installed. I will I will probably play yeah. through the DLC and then uninstall forever. Maybe I'll be surprised. And then uh, here's a release date that um, Adam, I know, has been waiting on for forever. Uh, Alchemy, Alchemic Cutie will launch for PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, and Nintendo Switch on June 16th. I remember you said, finally, when you, when this uh was, was announced, why was well, that? We've
1: all been waiting
2: for. Yeah, so this is just an indie game. It seems like it's not even really that good. Like it's out on Steam and Xbox and has kind of okay reviews. But the reason why I said finally when this was announced is because this has been on like my release date calendar since like 2019. <laughs> just as like we don't the know top, the date, and it's always at the top of the undated list because it starts with an A. Like, man, will this thing ever go away? Just stuck there like a (laughs) zit or something. Like, oh, wait, now it's gone.
0: Yeah, so Alchemic Cutie, it's already out on um, PS4, right? Uh, And PC?
2: It's out on on Xbox and PC. It's coming to Uh, Switch and PlayStation.
0: Oh, it's it's out on Xbox. That surprises me. Xbox is in a weird place. Alchemic Cutie is on uh, Xbox and PC. And then the June 16th date is PlayStation 4 and 5 and Nintendo Switch. And that covers all of the news stories that I had. I think there are a few other small bit pieces that aren't quite here, like Hogwarts Legacy on Switch was delayed till November. I remember we talked that's about like of, that's that... sort of
2: a it's kind of amusing I don't want to take I don't want to indulge in it too much, but like we were just saying last week because of the uh marble's's Min- 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 on yeah. other oh, day that game was canceled on Switch, and we're like, well, Hogwarts is still set to come out in June. Do we think it's going to make it? And then, literally, the week after, it's like delayed, and not even a, not a short delay. It's delayed five months. Like, wow, that's a pretty significant delay uh, for those who are wanting to see it on Switch. Um, for what it's worth, they released the PlayStation Four version and the Xbox uh, One version. And I've been watching some of the NBA playoffs, and there's still a lot of commercials for this game. Like now Hogwarts? saying, like now, yeah, now on PlayStation Four. Like obviously, it's a huge, massive game, and you know, it's good, all the marketing budget in the world. But I, it was slightly interesting to me that they are actually specifically doing commercials for like the last gen version. Like it's now on PlayStation Four, because I'm sure there are plenty of people who have PS4s and not
0: fives, and like, oh, I can buy this game now. So also, anyways, also, also, that IP is just kind of. I don't know. Yeah, there you go. I was like, "What's a good word for this?" So yeah, there could be there could be people be like, "Oh yeah, I would play a Harry Potter game." I know it's not a Harry Potter game, but whatever. Uh, And be like, "But I only have a PS4. I'll play this." And the only other thing I saw from this week. Uh, is um, coming out in the summer and then scheduled for later this year. We've talked about the announcement of Cry Machina, which may or may not be a follow-up to Crystar. Uh, it got a uh, an eight-minute Japanese trailer that's basically focused on a lot of gameplay features, uh, but it's a, it's specifically for the Japanese marketing because it's coming out, I believe, in July in Japan. Uh, so I'm guessing we'll see this uh, ramp up a lot uh, with similar trailers uh from nis america as as we get to the localized release later this year but also
2: minutes... um following up from that there's another genshin update where if uh chow is here you he know exactly what's in it i haven't looked at it yet but he quit
0: genshin remember he's done oh he quit I, I <laughs> no that's I... what he said that's what he said i don't know if i believe him
2: no, is he just all on star rail now that,
0: again that's what he said i don't know if i believe him uh but uh, we'll, we'll see if he uh logs into genshin uh
2: now this uh, this is the press release. Genshin Impact version 3.7 arrives May 24th with major trading card game update. Because I know they mm. added like a trading card game, and I don't think Chow cared for that at all. So he might not care about the uh, trading card game update. So there's a so new four star Dendro Sword user named Karara. Which, if you play Genshin at all, you probably know exactly who this is. I do not. They have Nakamana powers. I, I, so I what do does
0: not. That mean there, Okay. I do know that Dendro was the new uh, element that they added in version 3, so that's I don't know if that makes it more exciting or Any not. Any
2: Genshin people listening to us are like, God, these guys are idiots. <laughs> Damn it.
0: At least for Final Fantasy 14, we've got James here to give us legitimacy. But yeah, here is the, uh, if you want to, like, run through the gauntlet in May, this is this is, this is kind of a weird smorgasbord thing. So uh, You have uh, May 23rd uh, is the um, Final Fantasy 14 patch. May 23rd is also uh when um, my Asma chronicles comes out, I, did, I forgot about that. Uh, May 24th is that when you said Genshin comes out? Yep, and then May 25th is One Piece Odyssey's DLC, and also when Cassette Beasts hits uh consoles, and then May 26th is uh, Forspoken DLC. So, like, late May, it's a lot of like updates and kind of like interesting releases, kind of like a, a random kind of assortment of things, so that'll be kind of interesting, and then of course, uh, May 30th. Is the system shock remake release date, which is supposedly gone gold, so they can't back out of it now. <laughs> so it'll be for real, we promise. No, uh, I, knew, have- I
2: knew that game is taken forever, but like I didn't quite put it down pen to paper. Like that's seven years in the making.
0: Oh really? I was thinking like yeah. 2019. No.
2: <laughs> at least that's how the uh developer put it. So it's just kind of like,
0: wow. Well, I'm looking <laughs> at the release. I'm looking at the release schedule, which, of course, shout out, Adam, you always do a really good job keeping our RPG release cadence uh, schedule on the site up to date. Um, May has a lot of those little releases, and but I'm kind of just going to be focused all in on, on Zelda. I'll probably play the Forspoken DLC, which hopefully is only like a day or two. And then, like, I'm looking at May and early June, like, all right, I'll play System Shock Remake. Uh, I don't have any rule. I have not played the original. Um I played like some of the derivatives, like Bioshock and some people say Prey to the to 2017 is similar-ish. But I feel like those are have, you know, are kind of dumbed down compared to the original, at least as, or so I'm told. So I am eager to play the the remake, even though I won't be able to talk about how that compares to the original. So we'll see. And then June, of course, um Final Fantasy is the big one. But even there, that's late in the month. So we'll kind of see how these next few months uh end up shaking out. Well, that kind of covers us for this very focused, very targeted edition of the TetraCast. We will be back next week, almost certainly talking more about Zelda, potentially talking about Fugue Melodies of Steel too. and then if we get Josh and Chow back, we'll see maybe uh, impressions on how the final impressions on Star Rail uh, and or one of the things that they're working on the last couple of weeks. I'm not exactly sure what they have listed on their plates. Uh, but we have all the features that we shouted out up on the website. That includes, of course, the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom review, the Chained Echoes review, Mage Seeker, Le- League of Legends story review, and the Atelier remake preview from Paige. Uh, we have, of course, all the Zelda features, uh, all the little guideposts that James and Alex and others have been working on as well. Uh I've you can been working
1: find on guideposts in this during this very podcast.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I might I might have been playing a little bit of Zelda earlier in parallel as well. It's that good. Uh, we have, of course, uh, you can find RPG site on all the social media channels. You can find us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. Just search for RPG site, and you should find us. Uh, you should join our Discord by hitting the link at the top of our homepage or the link under our uh, YouTube post to join to join the discussion there. I do know that we have a uh, a site post. Oh, sorry, a site discussion for Legend of Zelda: Tears of the Kingdom. It's in the non-RPG section. So there you go. We're talking about it anyway.
1: We should, <laughs> we should move it into the RPG section. Even Nintendo calls it an RPG.
0: That's interesting. Uh, but anyways, regardless of what bucket it's in, we have a forum uh, up on our Discord for that. If you're playing through that and want to discuss it. Uh, and join us next week for another edition of the ChetraCast. If you made it to the end, I know this one was a little bit shorter, a little bit more targeted, but thank you all so much for listening. We really do appreciate your support. Uh, if you have any combat comments or feedback, let us know what we're doing well or things we could be doing better. Uh, go ahead and let us know either on our YouTube comments or on our site post or just to our Twitter handle. Uh, but you'll hear from us again next week. Until you hear from us next time, stay safe and take care. We'll talk to you all later.